Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 662 with Chef Oliver Ridgeway. You know, there's a potato is a potato, right? But what's its starch content? How much, you know, all of a sudden you start thinking of food differently beyond its, its face value. So that was cool that I was mentored to learn that. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable all right with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef oliver ridgeway my man are you feeling unstoppable today absolutely unstoppable all the way (laughs) yes so chef oliver ridgeway was born and raised in sussex england Uh, for ridgeway life in the kitchen began in his father's restaurant where his own passion began to emerge after studying cooking at the Crowley College Ridgeway worked in multiple hotels and even a cruise ship before landing in the United States where he held multiple chef positions and cooked in, in uh, as a VIP chef for the Olympics too which is pretty interesting in 2011 Ridgeway made the move to Sacramento where he took over the executive chef role at Grange restaurant and bar did you take over or was it opening it'd been that open point? three years and I took it over okay after interesting that. and uh Recently, you opened your first solo project. Congratulations. We're here at Camden Spit and Larder, your first solo project. I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, you know, it's kind of simple, but like do it nice or do it twice. I, in everything that we do, um, be it a service standard, be it how you talk to someone or a dish or a knife cut, like if you're not happy with it, do it again. Like you've always got to... You've just got to do it the right way. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. Do it nice or do it twice. And it just kind of, to me, it just, it just sounds like when I hear that, I think of just being intentional, right? Mm-hmm. And not just going through the motions, but really being present and thinking about what you're doing. So you don't, like, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, what makes you think you're going to be able to be able to do it again yeah you know uh, that's another quote that comes to mind do you want to reflect on that it could even be a comeback like it could be you know you were busy and you as a server and you put something down in haste and then you felt you know you're like you know what i didn't do that the right way go back revisit that table explain that dish and let them know that you care about what you're doing or even apologize for why you're busy or maybe you dropped something hasty but going back and revisiting and just fixing anything our our industry hospitality is, is built on 
and emotions and feelings and we've got to let people know that we care and yeah. um, that's why we've got to do it nice yeah and i think i, pr- I probably uh make an example of this story from setting the table too often but danny meyer calls it setting uh, writing the end of the story yeah right like you can recover from almost anything if you show people how much you care and if it's Absolutely. authentic it's so powerful awesome stuff great way to get this conversation started so where does it make sense to start telling your story. I mean, you grew up in the industry. I know what that's like. Uh, your dad owned a restaurant, correct? He did. And I, my parents were divorced and okay. weekends were with the father and him having a restaurant meant weekends in a restaurant. So honestly, I just started working on weekends, probably underage, washing dishes and, and just doing light <laughs> prep work. Yeah. And uh, they, my friends I grew up with all went into academics and did well, went to university. And I just, I, I was the only one out of our group that just continued to be in a kitchen, I, I, I had a purpose there. Um, I was a, a fun, outgoing kid. I wasn't very disciplined. Um, and I feel that initially when I started working, it was more of a fun element. I didn't have to study so much on the school side of things. And I was just kind of going through this cooking motion. Um, and then I just started working in professional kitchens. And all of a sudden I had... Um, a discipline, a hierarchy. I had someone that was really holding me accountable. And it, at a certain point, it, it, it clicked with me. I think it was when I went on board the Queen Elizabeth II, um, which is, you know, an iconic cruise liner, class system, Austrian, French chefs. And, you know, I got my ass handed to me. I was 20 years old and all of a sudden working in a super disciplined environment. And if I didn't do it right, they let me know and I could pretty much lose my job instantly. And all of a sudden... I've, I realized that being focused and taking direction and doing things the right way ended up making my day a lot easier and happier. So that was kind of the birth and thought process. But, 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 but by me becoming a chef was like, I'm just going to do it right. There's a bunch of things that you, you share with us that I want to kind of unpackage. Mm. Uh, the first thing, uh, you said you, you had a purpose uh, working in restaurants growing up. Um, what was your purpose? Like, I mean, I don't know what you exactly meant by that, but... Do you remember saying that? Yeah, I do. I just felt that, you know, cooking food was just something that made people happy. It made me happy being in a kitchen. I enjoyed the camaraderie of, still do, of the connection you make with the people you work with. And then obviously the guest out there as well. It's definitely a a rewarding, you know, we're all servants, right? Like in our industry and um, now I'm a servant leader, but it's, you know, it it just, you know, that that whole, that it, it, the hospitality side of me really took hold of me, I think. I love that mentality of being a servant. I think that it, it extends beyond the hospitality industry. I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thinking more on a bigger picture, like we as humans are all servants to each other, right? Mm-hmm. To humanity, to, we, we should have that, 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 that desire to pay it forward to the next generation and yeah. those that come after us, right? Absolutely. Um, why not have that mentality? Absolutely. Uh, so, what was it exactly that made you want to stay on this path? I mean, you were kind of born into the industry, right? Yeah. Uh, but you stayed with the industry. What was going on early in your career that made you, what What were the things that really kept you in this, this industry? I think what, as kind of going back to that same story, sort of from 16 to 18, worked in some okay hotel restaurants, regular restaurants, and I never really became great at anything it wasn't until i went on board that boat and i and i got a, a year under my belt and you, you're not taking a day off like you're working a four-month contract and a six-month contract during those contracts you're working seven days a week breakfast lunch dinner Damn. so in that environment um i walked off at 22 years old and i was a different person you were there for two years on this boat 
it was actually I joined in my late 20s and came off in 22 gotcha, gotcha, so gotcha. Um, and by that point traveled around the world did the world cruise I actually took um, I went on leave in Hong Kong flew to Thailand backpacked nice. around Thailand but on on the way on that the journey we'd been everywhere South America Australia really seen the world while educating myself in the kitchen and, and cooking and learning about hospitality um, but when I got off at 21 years old uh, 22 I was a different person I went back to my hometown started working in in restaurants and I was I was that much better than some of the people in in, in my age group or coming up because I had this different discipline I'd learned a lot my knife skills were sharper my my sense of urgency my and all of a sudden I'm like I, I, I could be actually quite good at this and yeah you start reaping the rewards of you know you you the gratification of yourself doing better, but like the team around you, all of a sudden you become kind of a younger leader. You've got people following you now. Um, and then that's what I started to enjoy it and, you know, started to get more focused, trying to work in the be- better restaurants and better products, you know, taking care of yourself a bit better. So what do you think it was about this experience on the Queen's, the Queen Elizabeth, this, this cruise ship that made you this way? I mean, another thing you mentioned that I thought was really interesting is it, it gave you focus. It gave you, it made you more focused. Mm-hmm. What was going on about this, this structured environment that made you come out so much different? Was it was it just the the culture that was on the boat? Do you think it was? Or? It was the culture and of, and the discipline, but also that like we just talked about, do it nice or do it twice. Like there was no wiggle room. Like I remember, you may get a break in the afternoon, like if you were efficient enough. But if not, you would have to work through. And every time I'd make a mistake or mess something up like I was just working all day and you just had to learn how to do things the right way yeah you want to get off the boat right (laughs) yeah it was like a hierarchy like the the traditional like vegetable stations saucier and garmanger so when you were doing a veg station you were like each entree had a veg garnish and a starch that was your responsibility and you know there was a certain expectation on everything so you just had to learn how to get it right and do it well and yeah and I think I couldn't help but think of, uh, in I think is it Outliers, uh, Max, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks mm-hmm. about the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. It takes 10,000 hours to master something. And when you're spending almost two years of your life, uh, seven days a week, you know, just constantly just doing one thing, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're, right. you're compounding the rate at which that, that, that 10 hours, not compounding, but you know, you're, you're getting them all in. You yeah, know? Oh, absolutely. And with I, no distraction, maybe too many distractions on the boat. I don't know. Maybe well, you, got, you, got, you had a crew bar. It's 25 cents a beer. Um, <laughs> okay. l- luckily at that age, I was invincible, right? Yeah. When, you, when you, when you think you can party all night and work all day, but, but when you're young and you can, you have that endurance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you put yourself in an environment where you have no choice, but to work all the time. And yeah. you're going to, you're going to build that foundation so much faster uh what about the influence of all these different cultures being able to get off the boat on occasion and um experience different cultures like thailand like you know asia south america and all these different places do you think experiencing seeing the world at such a young age and getting those different perspectives influenced you in any way absolutely and going back to also like my friends going off to university after a while when i first started i was like maybe i made the wrong decision i'm working shitty hours in these okay restaurants and I'm just not you know maybe I made a bad decision you know a year and a half later I'm traveling around the world cooking great food and I'm stepping off in Sydney I'm stepping off in Panama I'm stepping off in Hawaii and I'm just garnering all this culture you know even if it's for an afternoon or just an overnight but you're out in that in that 
that country or that island and you're going out to eat you're just taking a snip so over that time i was like this world is it's big but it's kind of small too like it's accessible like i can i can cook and travel now and this is this is going to make me happy like this is this is motivation in itself so it definitely shaped my cooking and my style but my outlook on life too because i eventually ended up traveling a lot myself on my own and, and working in different continents so okay so i mean i'm sure that probably helped boost your your confidence right mm-hmm. knowing that you the you know, outside of the um the borders of this country that the life does go on that it doesn't take a huge there's not that much risk involved right that get out there no, travel get experience right you could jump on a plane yeah. and be anywhere it's yeah for sure um so th- we kind of jumped ahead, which is fine, because uh, you, you went to the Crowley, Crowley School. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Crowley straight Crowley out of school. school. Yep. And then you spent uh, some time at a couple of hotels, uh, and that's when. You, and after that is when you made it onto the cruise ship. So this is a few years after it you, is. You graduated. So went to school at sixteen. Yeah. Um, and while working for my father as well, but that I, I like I said that the school environment just I never did well at school. Yeah. Even in the cooking school, I just didn't get the inspiration I needed. Now I look back and I actually learned a lot of fundamentals that a lot of people don't even know today, like some of the classic preparations and sources that I, I, I took in and I've never forgot. So I did take something. Yeah. I just didn't log them or academically put them onto paper to show the work I'd done, although I'd experienced them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, got a, I worked in a hotel straight after that school and it was, it was actually at a hotel, I mean a, at an airport, and it wasn't the best experience. And it was like, that's when I was kind of feeling like, the fuck what well this I, is this is why i'm curious I'm, I'm no you can say whatever you yeah. want i've said far worse on air don't yeah. worry about it um so sorry keep going so i'm in this hotel um at an airport and my first professional kitchen and but there was a lot of stuff bought in um i wasn't making things from scratch they had like tubs of mayonnaise and like vinaigrettes in like tubs and shit and i'm like there was just there was no passion behind yeah. that you were just serving food mm-hmm. Um, so I left that after a year and then I went to Brighton, um, to the Metropole Hotel, which is a beautiful classic hotel, huge, you know, different areas, um, butcher shop, garmanger, like huge catering. Like we do a lot of, um, banquets and I'd never seen that side of things before, but we were doing things right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but still I was living there. My friends were away at college, and I just still hadn't found what I was looking for. It was actually the head chef there at the time. I believe his name is Stephen Cole. This guy sat in a room, by the way, and we had a VIP crew come in, and he made, I think it was 12 Eiffel Towers out of butter for their table settings. The guy was old school as hell, tall hat, but he was just a true artist. But he's like, you need to go on the QE2. You need to get out here. You need to start traveling and you need to, you know, you knew I need discipline. He was the one that kind of spurred it. So I, that's when I applied and I was like, all right, I'm going to give this shit a go. I need to get out of here. I'm yes. thinking about my friends at yes. university, partying every weekend, you know, just living that life. And I'm just like, I'm just working all these hours. I'm kind of, you know, my friends had left me basically. And so it was time for me to start my own journey. Yes. And that was it. Oh, man, I love this. Who was this gentleman again? What his was name it? was Stephen Cole. And I haven't seen him in 
20 yeah. years. But that's great advice. And anybody who's listening to this who's young, mm. uh, you know, 18 to 20, early 20s, if you haven't gotten out and gotten experience, I mean, don't be too transient. You don't want to be spending one month here and two months mm. there and three months because that's just going to help you develop a bad reputation. Yeah. But definitely get out there and, and experience different things. you got to find out what it is exactly within this industry that lights you up. And the only yeah. way you're going to find it is if you get out there and try different things, right? And you're going to build on your repertoire. You're going to build on your, 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 your foundation, your experience, and you're going to figure yourself out during this time. I mean, you said you came out of this experience of being on the ship a different man. I mean, or just becoming totally a man, a right? Person. Turn yeah. into a man, right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, aside from this gentleman that you just shared with us, were there any other key mentors that had a huge influence on you? And what did they teach you? I've had many, even yeah. up to you we'll know, get there. today. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I think on the cruise ship was the Austrians. Um, there was a guy called Carl Winkler. He was, uh, an old school, he headed the whole culinary operations there. And then he had his number two, who was, a, I think his name was Yosef Youngworth. He was like 28, but like he was just a badass. And he really kind of, um, I think he saw light in me and he put a lot of time into me and, and really kind of watched me make mistakes, but actually stayed with me and showed me how to correct them. I, I remember making this this salmon mousse. And they wouldn't want to put eggs in it. They didn't want to set it. They wanted to set it naturally on its proteins. And I baked this, this terrine. It was like layered with lobster wrapped in spinach and scallops and shrimp, lined in leeks, like a real, (laughs) but I hadn't made the mousse right. And this thing just slopped and like, I was fucked, right? Like this was, that's one of those learning moments where I had to redo everything. But he came in the kitchen with me and taught me about my proteins being cold and the blades being sharp. So we're cutting the proteins, not mushing. Them. But he went through every kind of step that I, I didn't know the science behind what I was doing. I was just doing it right. And then he would keep the equipment in the freezer so it was cold. So the proteins mm-hmm. would endure the cream. And, you know, that's why we didn't need eggs because the proteins were so strong. But I just suit. He was like he, he mentored me and made me understand that food wasn't just a product that you're going through a process. There's there's a reasoning behind it. There's a science. There's an understanding that things act in a certain way, and that kind of made me click too. That mm. you know, there's a potato is a potato, right? But what's its starch content? How much? You know, all of a sudden you start thinking of food differently mm. beyond its its face value. So that was cool. That. I was mentor to learn that. I mean, he's giving you all the details and the thing that you're doing, right? And you're learning in this mm. way, but there's an overarching lesson too that you take the time to teach younger people these things, these little details. You don't get pissed. You don't yell at them. Mm-hmm. You say, I was there too once. And yeah. somebody came and showed me how to do it the right way. And just taking that time to really be patient and to, to, to help the next generation, right? I love that. Um, anything else from this, this, these experiences before kind of moving on to the next phase in your life? Um, I think learning at that age, too, was I, I, I soon understood that this industry is all about what you put into it. You can come into it and have a bad attitude and fail and end up working somewhere that you're very depressed and you don't find inspiring and just kind of get lost in it, at which point you need to get the hell out of it because this industry will consume you. But if you focus, work in the right places and... Um, you know, have a drive, then you, you, your life can become quite good. It's never going to be easy, but you, you create your journey in this industry. No one's going to hand it to you on a plate at all. Yes, I love it. So what, the next step, I mean, after being in, on the cruise ship, um, you did a few more tours, right? You didn't come straight to the, the States. So no, I, ca- I went back home, started working. Um, I actually worked in a really cool um, little uh, Thornbury Castle in the southwest of England. Um, they had uh, four rosettes at the time, which is kind of a Michelin equivalent. 
um, worked for a Danish guy, did some cool food. That's when I realized I actually knew what the hell I was doing. Like I went into this kitchen. I was like, well, this is pretty cool. And I ended up becoming kind of a lead in that kitchen. But um, I had the bug. I was like, I need to get out. I, and so I, I saved up and I went to Australia. And I flew to Australia on uh, just after the 2000, January 2000. And uh, landed in Sydney, with a stayed with a friend that I'd met on the cruise ship prior who'd emigrated out there. And um, it was the year of the Olympics. So went out there and got a job at Stadium Australia. The executive sous chef of Stadium Australia had happened to have worked on the QE2 five years prior. We had the connection. Okay. She hired me on the spot. Um, contractual work in the beginning, but not a full job until later in the year when the Olympics started. So did some work around the city, some stages, and bought a bus and traveled around the country nice. and learned a lot about Australia. And then came back and cracked out the Olympics, Sydney 2000, which was just freaking amazing that is amazing that's a i think that's another variable from your story too i think when we get into the restaurant industry we're kind of narrow-minded and we think just restaurants yeah but there's work if you can cook there's work in verticals all over the place uh what like how did you get this opportunity is this something that you were seeking out i mean you you had your friend out there Mm -hmm. um but i guess speak to the uh the fact that we need to be open-minded about the different opportunities. I think some of the other opportunities are usually, if you're you're looking at paychecks, are usually a little bit better. They are. Like when I was out in Australia there in sort of that corporate environment too, I was getting paid extra on Saturday and Sundays, different pay rates in Australia. Overtime up the wazoo. Like I think I'm probably one of the only people that traveled Australia and came back with a bank full of cash too, which is great. Yeah. But I think... You know, even now owning a restaurant, like all these opportunities I've had, be it a hotel or a cruise ship or a stadium, you've learned how to cook in many facets. I've worked in fine dining and, you know, now if I have an offsite or a large catering gig or whatever, like I've, I've done it. It's not out of my scope. So I think exposing yourself to other areas of this industry, maybe it's not your forte or you want to stay into it, but doing it, you never know when you're going to need it. Like if someone wants to do a 200 person dinner out on a farm, I'm happy to do that, and I have the know-how and knowledge to do that and how to, to, to cook on that level at a, and with large numbers. But, um, yeah, there's all different facets. It's, you know, you meet different people too. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm trying to figure out where it makes sense to spend most of our conversation before kind of talking about moving to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Were there any key mentors in the experiences you had? You've worked uh, some great restaurants before even getting to Sacramento. Where do you want to take the conversation? So I, th- I I can take it pretty quickly. Got back to Aust- from Australia. Um, I ended up in New Orleans for six months. Oh, that's right. Through a family connection. Worked at K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen. First time really working in America. New Orleans is not America. It's its own entity. It's its own world. And learned a lot about the cuisine down there. But I was kind of bridging a gap between doing the winter games up in Salt Lake because I'd met some people in Sydney they were coming over to help do... So uh, you're, tra- you're slowly making your way to the northwest. To Park City, the, Utah, the which is... I worked at Deer Valley. Ended up doing two seasons there, um, but, you know, never skied in my life. But I had that experience doing an Olympics in Australia that they felt that that yep. could lend themselves, you know, to doing all the VIP sponsors and performers at the, at the Winter Games. So I ended up doing that, getting exposed to a whole new life, which is ski towns, which... Yeah. Some of the best time of my life. I bet. So let's tap the brakes real quick and take a, a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of unpackage what your state's that experiences were okay. all about. 
It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. All right, we're back. And uh, you were just about to, to talk about your experiences in Louisiana, uh, Utah, Park City. Uh, starting with Louisiana, any big takeaways from this experience coming to the States and working in the States? Um, the food is not always, um, as, as it seems, right? Like I'd, I've been learning a very disciplined European way of cooking. You get to New Orleans and you're doing these seasoning rubs. You're doing, you're taking, um, like a demi-glass that you learned, but you're adding jalapenos and lime juice and toasted pecans. And you're doing like a, they called it a hot fanny sauce over bronzed swordfish. So you're taking all these classic techniques and you're like, breaking off the barriers yeah. you're adding chilies and spices and toasted nuts and you're like fuck yeah like food is getting even more exciting yeah. now like you're blackening things and you're making like gumbos and you're using ruse that you're burning almost to try and flavor a soup mm. versus thicking it in a bechamel like there's techniques that you weren't taught in classic food were like now like someone had just like twisted it completely and i'm like fuck like there's a whole new world yeah. out there. And that's when I started really like, like this is, this is getting real now. Like, so it's almost like, uh, the, the experiences up to this point, like you were learning the, the technique, the foundation, mm -hmm. uh, and then you got to America. Is it safe to say that European cuisine is more traditional than American cuisine? It is. We've got the Southern sort of Northern Africa and Spain and, yeah. you know, we've got that going on in it Italy, but definitely the, I think the Americas have a different, just yeah. getting outside the box and trying to yeah. find a way to be different to stand to, mm -hmm. to stand apart from somebody else. Whereas I, feel, I don't know. I mean, this is me kind of just making assumptions, or but maybe that's not safe. Where maybe in Europe at this time it was you're being uh, judged by how how close to perfection to to the standard. Absolutely, right? yeah. it's a little bit different of a culture. You know, we, yeah, yeah. Everything was very you know very very well done, but you know, kind of kind of safe to a certain yeah. degree. Like no one was breaking the mold at the time got you so what about um any mentors um, when you're learning or any key lessons about business at this time just experience and um you know being true to yourself i think i soon realized when you're in an environment where you where you're new and like the only way you're going to get along is by getting earning respect so respect by working hard and being a team player um and then also taking um, into consideration the culture that you're in too. Yeah. I think I was one of probably two white cooks in that kitchen in New Orleans and, you know, it was a new thing for me with a bunch of southern gentlemen just 
speaking how southern gentlemen do using words that i'd not really heard loosely and i was you know trying to be one of the boys you know so yeah learned my way and end up making some amazing friends like and you know eating in neighborhoods i probably wasn't welcome in but because i had made some friends in the kitchen i love it i was able to do that so culturally really kind of opened my eyes to about um you know about how you how, how you get into um you know, into an environment that you're not from. But kind of fast-forwarding after the Olympics, I, I, I soon realized I'd done some traveling and moving around, and I needed to get in with a company. Um, ended up joining Rosewood Hotels and Resorts in 2003. Ended up in the Caribbean, 18 months. Worked in a five-star, five-diamond resort there. I was the number two in the kitchen. Immersed again in a culture where I was one of many, you know, fewer white guys. But again, that New Orleans experience had taught me how to embrace a culture, work with them and learn and all of a sudden champion them to get the results I needed. Um, I was done, ready to leave. And then that's when I ended up in New York. They, they flew me to New York, New York and I worked at the Carlisle um, for three years as executive sous chef there, which was when I became... Like, so under the same organ, the same corporation. Gotcha. Do me a favor and point that mic straight at your face. Okay. Or you can take the mic and actually point it. Don't be afraid to move the mic to, so you can be comfortable. There you go. Right. Yeah. Talk right into that thing. Um, so any different experiences? We'll, we'll, let's spend some time in the Caribbean real quick before moving on. What about people or experiences or lessons, things about yourself? Were there any transformative time or, or experiences during this time here? Just yeah, a lot of self-learning. Like, although I was living in the Caribbean on a beautiful island in this, you know, this paradise, it was probably one of the toughest jobs I had. Like, you're what working. Made it so tough. You're working with a culture where work's probably number eight on their things to do on any given day. Like, they're all about their music and eating and family they, and dancing. How and, dare they? Which is awesome. <laughs> but you've all of a sudden working for this Western company. It's a five-star, five-diamond where your yeah. standards are, and the expectation that the guest is coming in with is you've got to get everyone on your same page. And um, it, it's, it's just funny. You'd see people get off the plane from New York and, you know, wealthy people that have done well and wanted to have this experience but even though their intensity of and their expectation from the service staff would be a little bit kind of crazy on the first day and they'd be a little bit unhappy but two or three days they get into the island style the standard we were doing was there the food was there but it was just a bit slower and a bit different but you kind of learn I learned so much about people and cultures and trying to get to an end result maybe not the way that you want to but the way you have to and it may be making people understand how and why you got there and it's um yeah I, and i had a lot of time to think like i had, my chef was australian but he was the he was kind of my friend but other than that i didn't have a ton of friends i had a lot of time in my own head so if somebody's listening to this and they're leading a group of people of a different culture mm. right and what advice do you have for that person that has to uh, uh, acclimate to the culture uh, who, who can't just command and control, but, you know, there's a little bit of like having to understand where these people are. You know, what advice do you have to acclimating to that, those different cultures to lead in a different culture? Well, first of all, give a shit. Like, mm-hmm. un, like I can't, I, even with all my teams I've had over the years, like, you can't underestimate like having a stand-up or a meeting every day or one-on-ones with your staff if you're taking over a kitchen or you're joining a kitchen like know who your people are like have a group setting if you're a leader and sit down and just talk about a little bit about where you're from talk to them if you've got an issue with someone that maybe isn't working up to your par like understand where that you know what 
who are their family? What, what, what makes them happy? Like, try and get in their head a little bit. And once you've started showing them that you care enough, then they might start caring too. Obviously, there's, you know, if, if they don't, there's, you know, that's whatever. But you'll figure that out too. But some people, are, they're, they're tough nuts to crack and they just need to know that they can trust you. Um, that you care and that you've got their back as much as you want them to have your back. And if you can crack that mold, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not always about food, our industry. Yeah. It's rarely about food. We, we've soon learned that it is a people business, right? And that's, I learned that a lot um, through these, these immersions in different cultures. Do you feel like you were influenced at all like uh, when you left this island and you went from the island to New York City? Was there kind of a culture shock of, of kind of getting maybe a little too acclimated to the casual environment and then landing in New York city and back to that, like that Northeastern go, 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 go mentality. Like the Carlisle, which is probably (laughs) the best hotel in New York city. We're talking like way five star, right? You all of a sudden I'm in this, in this hotel where you've got Al Pacino, you've got Robert De Niro, uh, Conan O'Brien, whoever it is, any other day in your restaurant, and like you've got all this really high on um, product. But remembering you're in New York City, I've got Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Colombians, Mexicans, so many different cultures too. So all of a sudden, but that's a different kind of level of you know uh, intensity too. You've got a more of a fiery mentality with yeah. some of these South American cultures. So it was not only was I from an island into Manhattan, I was from this laid back kind of to this kind of very upbeat kind of fast sassy south american attitudes too so that was definitely a a new it was a new thing for me too and um i then had you know i had five outlets that i was overlooking then from restaurants to bars to room service and um that's you know my my chef there jimmy sacados who was a huge mentor of mine um and he'd been in new york his whole life still is and he I learned a lot about him about food and, and sort of technique and, and standards, very high standards. But what I did learn from him too, he was he was often um, he wasn't a big communicator, mm. and he often you know some of these staff would almost um, there'd be some certain level of disrespect, um, which I never liked the way they would because you know, because of, of their culture and their kind of sassiness towards talking to managers. But I had to learn my way about having respect in that environment too. How do I earn? Um, these guys respect without them understanding um, without them you know belittling me so that's when I realized that being informed every day um, knowing exactly how the day was going to go having the mise en place in house in regards to product and then giving them clear direction of what your day was so I started learning that stand-ups of every single shift and laying an expectation Every day of how you want your day to go with your team yes, follows accountability, lesson. right? Yeah. But if you go into a day without an expectation, without the right food ordered, without the right information, then you're the you're the problem, right? Okay. So I, that's what I learned. So there. the lesson here, uh, this mentor you had, uh, he taught you a lot. But one thing that you noticed where he could have been better was with communication. And mm-hmm. because he wasn't communicating, he didn't have he didn't garner that respect from the team that he could have had if he he if he let his expectations be known for the day up yeah. front. So what you're doing is you're painting that picture of perfection for your team. You're communicating. This is where we are. This is where we need to be at the end of the day. So you're giving mm-hmm. them aiming points. That that's super powerful. Why? Giving them these objectives, painting that picture, what does that do? How does that really what, – what are you accomplishing, really? Get, get specific. You're creating accountability. Mm. You know, uh, there's so many moving parts on any given day in, in any restaurant or kitchen, be it front of house or back of house. But 
every morning, I, I, most mornings I'm here in the seven o'clock hour. I like to get here early. Um, and I'll tell everyone what's on the books. The deliveries are coming in. We'll go through the menu. And then all of a sudden, do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? Anything that I should know about? How are we on this? And then you do a follow-up too. But these, these, these questions that are asked, the expectation that you're given puts it, the emphasis back on the employee. Now, if they're a good employee and a hard worker, then they're going to own their shit. Yeah. But then when you've got the person at 10.45 before you open for lunch, chef, I don't have this or I don't have... You're like, well, we talked about this. We had to, gave you two opportunities and all of a sudden you're going to try and fix them and help them yeah. not do that again because I don't want your problem to become my problem when I've already allowed you to have me help you yeah. or get you in a better spot. So I mean, it, accountability it, is huge. Accountability too. And I think it's just, you know, that again, just good communication, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before you start taking care of yourself for the day as a leader, it's your job to take care of others first and yeah. to make sure that they have what they need to get the job done. And then once they're good to go, that's when you can focus on your responsibilities. But your number one responsibility is making sure they can do their job. Right. And the, and the biggest question at the end of it always, what do you need from me? Mm. And that's it. Like giving him one more opportunity. Do you need the salmon breaking down? Do you need tartar cutting? Like, you know, some of these more laborious specialist jobs that, you know, that are on their stations that might take a bit of time, but when they're like, no, we're good, we're good. Yep. So you're opening the channel of communication in case that there, you know, in the event that there is something wrong. Yeah. Now there's no excuses. I gave you an opportunity to tell me what you needed from me to make sure this was happening. So again, just to summarize, uh, start your day by taking care of other people, by communicating what the expectation is to them and always end by asking what you need from me Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's nothing we're missing to, yeah. make, to give you that opportunity to communicate back, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, it's a closed loop. Um, it is. And then sometimes, you know, with your younger cooks, you'll realize that they're kind of all of a sudden they found themselves in the shit at 10:45, and you know, cause you know, your kitchen, what they're missing. And, yeah. they're, and now they're kind of a little bit apprehensive about asking you for help because you've given the opportunity. And then you're like, it's uh, what's going on with the, uh, the Tombow today. You're good for <laughs> your Nisoir, And they're like, uh, I'm like, you want me to do that? And they're like, Yes, please. And you do it. But like even in that sly conversation, you know, you could be yeah. a dick about it or you could just do it. And that's just as much of an effect, too, because they yeah. know that, you know, and yeah, and they know you have your back. And then there's some days that, you know, yeah, everyone right. got slaughtered the day before in regards to the level of business. You're like, OK, well, I'm going to do salmon. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. What else does everyone else? Because I know you got slammed yesterday and yeah. I know you need my help. So I love but, it. Yeah. So you still have two more stops um, from this experience before coming to Sacramento and crushing it for six years with the, um, the, the help me out. The, I Rosewood. Yes. Well, was the, so I did Carlisle in New York for three years. Yep. And then I went to the inn of the Anasazi in Santa Fe, New Mexico after that. Yep. And then you were, yeah. And then you came back. That's when you came to, um, Sacramento after that. And you were at the, the Grange. Grange. Yeah. So any other, I mean, I want to make sure we leave time to talk about what you got going on today. Uh, take us to where the next, big part of your career was if there was a key moment a key lesson a key person um to set you up for you know the the continuing success that you had um you know before we got to sacramento i i took a job in 2011 i became the executive chef and fmb director at the end of the anasazi in santa fe new mexico in 2008 just as the economy crashed so it sank hard and i had just taken over a kitchen with these high accolades great hotel like it was only 58 rooms beautiful dining room in the southwest um i had a pastry chef an executive sous chef i had a restaurant manager an assistant general like all of these employees 
progressively I had to let most of them go through Oof. the lack of business yeah. with, the, with the market crashing. So all of a sudden I'd got to this point where I'm like, this is my biggest position in my career now. And now and the, like, bottom was now the shit's out. hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. So I learned the, 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 the sad end of, you know, what, what you have to do when you have to let someone go. And even though they're very hardworking and skilled and brilliant, um, I've, I've, I've got to let you go because there's, there's not enough revenue to support your position right now. And um, my, my GM at the time, Andrea Gates, who is now in uh, Dallas, she's the GM of the uh, Mansion on Turtle Creek, legendary hotel. But she, she was a great mentor and she, she, she'd worked with people her whole life. What and the biggest we, lesson she gave you? Um, humility, um, temper. I was very hot-headed. Um, I'd suit. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of learn. I'd become a manager and had email. And you know, when someone shoots off shitty emails because they're angry about some kind of process or something happened, she would teach me like, write an email, don't press send, go home, sleep, come back in the morning, read that email. If you still feel the same way, press send. Yeah, I never press send ever because <laughs> she was right and yeah. she was always she was very calm she was very um she just taught me a new way of leading and it was not through the passionate fun rage of a chef in a kitchen it was more of the calm get to the same result but by thinking things through and um she taught you not to be rash she you did know? And she you know you i think before you send even, or say yeah. even panicking when we were kind of you know the economy wasn't there like letting people go like how do you do this and it was all about facts having everything thinking things through having your facts and then you know laying out that news be it good or bad and so um, having your facts this was going to be my next question is i mean we're People who are listening to this, I'm sure they have a lot more career left in them. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but it's likely that they're going to have to let some folks go. It's likely things are, are not going to always be as great. You know, yeah. the, the economy has its peaks and valleys. How do you go through that process of selecting people? And how do you tell somebody that they didn't make the cut? You know, like, what's that like? Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of... Um I think there was a game show on it, um, The Weakest Link. Oh, yeah. It was, it was big. You know, you have to look at who is... Who's bringing know, the most to the table. Yeah, who are your strengths and who are your weaknesses? And, you know, you're always going to have a team of strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes they can complement each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't always want a whole bunch of A-hitters. You want someone maybe who's got a different demeanor on, on a pantry or, or whatever pastry. But at that point, you've got, like, who can bring the most to the table? Um, you know, who's the most flexible? Who knows most... You know who can do multiple stations. Who can, who can contribute when when, when we need them to. Yeah. And um, when it comes to the letting go part, it's it's factual and honesty. This is you know where we're at, and this is unfortunately what we have to do. And yeah, so just getting your facts straight, so yeah. you can point to something to mm-hmm. say like this isn't personal. Like this yeah. is based off of here are the facts. And, and sometimes it's are. tenure too. Tenure yeah. makes it easy, right? Mm-hmm. You're like. Frankie's been here 10 years. You've only been here two years. I had to take the... Yeah, yeah. You know. So one thing I've noticed about your career, and it's kind of obvious at this point, you, you, you picked... It seems like you picked a niche of um, not just the restaurant industry, but restaurants and hotels. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that intentional? Did it just happen to be that way? Is there a benefit? Is there something... <sighs> I think that the travel part did it. Yeah. And... Um, that's why I, I ended up joining Rosewood because their restaurant emphasis was very strong. Um... And, you know, food and beverage was just as important as room. So they just had a very, 
high standard of, of, of food and beverage, which I, which I always enjoyed. But, um, yeah, I think just the traveling and being able to, um, you know, some of these hosts like Rosewood, they allow you to travel too and give you exposure to move around the world. And that's just, I was, I did three moves with Rosewood and I did multiple trips. I went to Saudi Arabia and did British food festivals. I was in Mexico helping out there. Like they would send me around doing these other projects. I think they just offered a lot more for what I was doing at the time. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of chefs, executive chefs that, that specialize in this vertical of the hotel, the mm-hmm. restaurant hotel. Uh, what things, what are the other benefits that come? Anything that we should consider or maybe um, know about this part of the industry if we are considering it now, especially after listening to you? Um, well, bandwidth is huge, right? You could have a fine dine restaurant, but you've got a room service and you've got a whole catering team doing weddings. And um, so you've got to be able to create leaders to manage these different outlets on the back end of that, because it's attached with rooms, like your salaries are pretty, pretty good too. If you're if you're in a leadership or even a line position in a in a hotel, um, you're typically going to get benefits. You're going to get good vacation time, sick pay, um, and 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 a good wage, and often um, opportunities to travel and promote within a company and see yourself down the line. So it's a different it's a different route. But the same too. It's yeah. I think compensation was fun too. Yeah. Know? No, it's definitely um, you know a vertical that's not discussed enough on this show. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I think we're seeing it again because your current not to get too far ahead, but your current location again is, is side, there's a hotel here, isn't there? Not a hotel nearby or no, uh, there not no here. There's a hotel right over here. Okay. Yeah, it's about two blocks. But right the last here. restaurant you're at was another hotel situation, right? So. That wasn't your first executive chef role. Um, it was my second, and I got there in 2011, yeah. um, 33 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, by that time, I had a, a wife. I had a two-year-old and a six-month-old, and um, I had been looking to move west. Sacramento had not been on the radar. People often ask, how did you go from New York and Sydney and to Sacramento? But San Francisco, very expensive city to live, and not a... not not able to raise a family I don't think comfortably there and yeah the agency I was with found Citizen Hotel at this beautiful restaurant that um, a group of investors had converted a building from 1923 made it a boutique hotel put a restaurant in there which was farm to fork all about um, where the produce was coming from and I was like well this is my jam interviewed a few times got the job and yeah I took yeah. it from there and that's when I really I think began to blossom I, I had a yeah, I think this is a pivotal point in your career. Mm. I think a lot of people, and it was there was a lot of truth to this until the recent history. Uh, to make it, to, to learn, to do anything, you'd had to go to the big cities, the New Yorks, mm-hmm. Los Angeles's, the San Francisco's of the world, to to have a shot at making it big. Right? Mm-hmm. I think the opposite is true now. I think that yeah. if you really want to be a leader, if you want to make it big, if you want to be as successful as possible, the opportunities lie in those mid-sized cities where yeah. you can go to those cities that are trying to grow. Exactly. Too. Um, you can go to a New York City and try to be the number one, where you're competing against some of the best chefs in the in world, the world. <laughs> yeah. or you can go to a sac. Sacramento or a Manchester, New Hampshire or uh, Jacksonville, Florida, or mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, or even a smaller city, you know, yeah. that's on the, the come up. Um, was that part of your strategy? Did it just so happen to did it just happen this way that you it landed in the smaller happened. city? It's yeah. funny, you know, Sacramento, like it, it was so weird. I'd interviewed in Santa Monica um, too, and it was a, a nice uh, property down there, but just not my vibe. Like 
just spending time down there. It's a beautiful spot, but not a place to raise a family, not at my time anyway. Um, but Sacramento, just I, the, I had the information on the restaurant and the hotel, which I loved, knew nothing about the city. So when I first got here, I was like, fuck, like capital town kind of been shit on, recession really broke it. And, yeah. Um, but as I interviewed the first time, did a bunch of tastings, spent some time around here, flew back home, which was Santa Fe at the time, um, kind of forgot about it. And then they flew me out again for a second interview. I was like, fuck, here we go. Let's give it a go. I enjoyed the restaurant and then spent more time here. And I was like, looked at these local businesses and restaurants and the city felt like it was trying to be something culinary wise. Like they had the best produce in the country. Like we're surrounded by the best farms and producers. And I'm like, this is a cool environment for a chef. And I can actually live in a, in a, in a house and have a, like a yeah. life yeah. and still have kind of that exactly. vibe. And that's when I, I got offered the job and I took it and it was the balance in life that it was going to offer me. But not only that, but they'd, pr- they'd prided themselves that Grange would be its own entity and the hotel would be its own entity. It was not a hotel restaurant. They wanted it to be completely different, although it's the same on the back end. <laughs> so I got to run an upscale restaurant plus have the facet of catering and weddings. And there you go. Do you have exclusivity to those, those events? Um, yeah, we did. It was yeah. the same business, yeah. but on the outside, it wasn't. Gotcha, gotcha, you know what gotcha, I mean? Gotcha. Like, I still had a production kitchen downstairs that was feeding the restaurant and the catering side, but we had a, a restaurant kitchen too. So any big lessons, uh, failures, things that you would have done differently with this restaurant in the Grange, uh, but this is where you kind of spent most of your career as far mm-hmm. as in one spot. Um, how did you grow as a professional during this, this six, six year stretch, right? I think I learned a lot, you know, my, at the time when I took over, my number two, who's actually going for the job, he, he's actually a local restaurant owner now, but, you know, it was challenging coming into a kitchen where you've got talent, talented people, you know, if not more talented, you in certain areas and understanding that as a young, I was a young chef, right? I had a wealth of career by the time I got to 33 and I'd still, still young, I suppose, and hadn't learned everything, but I, I had to go into this kitchen where... The environment was this guy had been running it in the interim and didn't take the job, so had some resentment against me. And um, we're, we're the best of friends now, to be honest. And um, but you know, I, I learned. So this gentleman, real quick, he was he was. I'm not sure the. the he dynamic. was the executive sous chef. Okay. And he was going for the head chef position. Oh, okay. I ended up getting the so, position, so he stayed on. And I came into this kitchen that he'd been holding down. Gotcha, for gotcha, the, gotcha. Yeah. So there's a little bit of resentment there um, that might come up in some of our careers. Uh, how did you guys handle it? Because now you're best of friends. How did you address that that clear situation? He he was young. He was 27, 26 at the time, I think. And I think he, he had some growing um, opportunities too. And I think what what he saw and what we learned is um, he was very fiery, very culinary forward. But I had, a, I think, a different level of maturity in management and leadership because I'd worked with people so much. And I think he started seeing some of the changes I did in the organization and the structure of the business that bettered what we were doing beyond okay. the food side of things. You know which, the next question. What's that? <laughs> Maybe I'll let you finish this one before you uh But like I said, it's, yes, it's about food, but... You know, as the further you get, it becomes less and less about food. So if I've got you and you're my number two and you're a badass in the kitchen, run for it. We'll consult on menus. I'll cook with you. But 
own that. That's great. I will make sure that everything else is running perfectly too. I'll make sure that we've got, you know, all the organization and, yeah. and all of that. It so. sounds like you didn't let it get personal. Like you could pick up on the, maybe some tension there. There, there but were you some focused- snappy moments, you know? And I think the funny thing is like when we went out drinking after work, cause my, 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 my wife didn't move here for three months. Um, a little bachelor pad for a few months. It was, but like we got on really well. Yeah. Like even now, like we, it was about a month ago, we hadn't seen each other forever and we sat at the bar here, we did an event together and like we could do this for like 12 hours because we just make each other laugh. Yeah. We get lost in food conversations. So we we, we liked each other yeah. and that was the thing. We, we, we started forming a friendship regardless of the situation and it soon fizzled out gotcha. why. And yeah. Well, you mentioned something. The next question I wanted to ask is when you came on board and mm. there was a lot of things you had to change, you said. There's yeah. a lot of things. That, what what was the state of the situation and how, what changes did you make to, to, to turn that around? I, I refer to it as a pirate ship. Um, <laughs> no one was wearing... Like and I get it. I, I still have a, a different view now. But the, no one was wearing a hat. No one was wearing an apron, and there was music blasting. Okay, which told me there was really not much discipline happening. There were mm-hmm. no meetings in the morning. There was no structure to the day, and it was very much kind of a Mayhem go for chaos. it. Have it. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of came in, and you know, and and, and I kind of taught my younger managers that. Sometimes it's not just about the hat for a health reason or the apron. It's a standard, right? It's a, there's a uniform for a reason. So if you can't tell a cook to put his hat on or wear his apron, what, you probably can't tell him how to cut an onion. Or So I had to, you know, the, why don't I have music on? I said, they've got 20 people down there. They all have a different music taste. Their concentration is not on the product that they're doing right now. It's too big of an environment to have that. Smaller kitchen's different, I think. Um, but like creating that, that, those simple moves in the beginning enabled more concentration, more understanding, more, you know. So you needed to inject standards in regular in, in um, processes and routine, yeah. right? And uh, the way you did that is by the little details, like having standards with the little details, like making sure your hat is on and your apron's on and like starting small. Starting right? small, and, having your stand up, like mm-hmm. we talked about, the letting them know how the day is going to go, communicating about mm-hmm. what's going on and letting people talk back without feeling that they're going to get yelled back at mm-hmm. and... Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, So at what point did you start dreaming of your own restaurant? Was, was, when did this, where we currently are seeing the, uh, the spit and larder, I'm saying, um, when did this vision come into frame? I think after three years there, I got, um, I got a few good accolades. We've got a four star review in the, in the local paper. I'd been in Savoir magazines, top 100 dishes of the year in 2015, Started getting invited to food festivals, Pebble Beach, LA Food and Wine. And um, I'd really embraced the community. I'd doing a lot of farm dinners, public events, farmers markets. I just felt very connected to the community. The restaurant was performing very well. Um, the prior owners that had started had soon sold and moved on to do something else. But I, during that sale, I realized, that, oh, this isn't my restaurant and maybe someone could come in and take over and not want like what I'm doing or kick me out maybe there's some unstableness there or but I, I soon just I was doing a lot I'd done a lot on my own with my team but it was all, a lot of it had come you know I thought I can do this like I, I've connected with people in the community I'm running a successful business and operation I understand stuff I'm understanding the finances I I feel like I could run a business I'm running a business yeah 
it'd be nice to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big thing that that I want to point out, I mean, the importance if you're new to a community, mm-hmm. right? Spending six years becoming a part of the community. Mm-hmm. I feel like once you're a part of a community, it's a different, it's a different game because you can lean on those relationships. You can pull people in. You have, you know, this market, you know, the people that you can to bring onto your team, right? You, you have a presence. And I think there's something to be said about having a presence in a community before trying to open a restaurant, a very intimate situation where you depend Absolutely. so much on relationships. You never do it without yeah. like, you know, that's why it's important. I still do it now. I have to more so than ever, but like walking your dining room, like I would connect with the VIPs, say hello to them, send them a special dish out, make them feel special. If you knew it was a client that comes in to entertain someone or go, you know, do these farmers market um, tours, go out there and support the local farm, do an event there, do um, fundraisers with people, know your city managers and just be part of the, the, the tourism board and, mm just really embrace it and then you know you're almost giving back by giving your time through food and whatever you contribute but also in turn they get to know you and support what you're doing um, which is key when you actually go out to do it on your own awesome um so opening your first restaurant this is your first solo project yeah. right Any, i mean you've been going for almost two years now right one year one Maybe year one year next month one year next month so reflecting back over this past year uh, anything you would have done differently, anything that you learned the hard way, any, any changes you had to make, take us through that process. God, where to, where to start? start? <laughs> right, the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. I think, again, comes down to people. Um, hiring right, spending time and understanding um, who you're hiring, maybe having yourself a list of questions that you ask the same person, every person the same questions to kind of, understand what the answers are going to be and then have a fun element to it too like a bit more of a personal edge but hiring right um understanding your limits um, did you maybe not know your limits um i hired wrong in the beginning i got the wrong i i I went on a on a gut feel instead of a a calculated feel which was for a, a, a senior part of my front of house which i ended before we opened actually which was a huge learning curve for me too like literally, which, which li- part of it was a learning curve? The op- opening, um, just knowing that I was going to open in four weeks and firing my general manager <laughs> and not and not knowing what I was going to do about Woof. it, but <laughs> yeah. knew that they were that bad of a, a hire that I had to just own it and just be done with it. Yeah, that was really hard. I was like, "Fuck, shall I just try and get open with this person and deal with it?" And I'm like, "Well, no, yeah, it's not the right thing to do." Why so, is that not the right thing to do? Why did you come to that conclusion? Because I don't think it would have been good for the staff. I don't think he would have been able to handle all the stress that it takes to open a restaurant. And then I think they were going to lean on him far harder because although I oversee a lot of things here, I'm going to be in the kitchen, right? This is my food out the bat. So I'm yeah. not going to be able to lean on the front of house, need a leader. They need someone that's going to have their back like I would. And it just didn't, he wasn't that guy. And yeah. I just, and it was more about the staff and the respect that they would have. And mm-hmm. also, just dealing this with This is it. your first restaurant open. First restaurant, yeah. So, I mean, and this is something that comes up often on the show. You can work in the best kitchens and the best restaurants across the world, but opening a restaurant is a completely different game. Oh, totally. um, how did you prepare yourself not having any experience, not being able to open restaurants for other people? What things did you do? I've, done, I've been on opening teams with Rosewood Hotels. Gotcha. I opened up a place in Atlanta. Um, there we go. I did a refurbish down in the Caribbean for in Little Dick's Bay. Um those environments, same idea, but they have like 
opening teams, right? They fly in people. I was on opening teams. I was part of that task force. But I got to see what it was about. Although it wasn't a, a, a personal project, I got to be on them and yeah. understand it, what it took. Mm-hmm. And I, Yeah. Any key lessons you learned during those experiences that set you up for success with this location? I think, like, if you're, if you're confident enough in your ability to do what you're doing, like, having that check, like walk through every single day you've had in a kitchen in your life and think about every scenario like it's stupid right like because you think about even now what we're, we're sitting in this room like every single thing was a decision someone had to make a decision to buy that and a purpose for it be it this water jug or glass or whatever so like think about those things because you, you that that situation is going to come up in your environment it's the unknown where you start to play into different things like your your PG&E, your gas, your your taxes, your accountants, all these other things that are out of your control where you might want to seek help mm-hmm. to get them in. But everything that you're doing in your world, you probably know about it. Yeah. So and you're right, making a list of the things that you're confident about and the things that you're not so confident yeah, about that you vendors. should surround yourself with somebody who's an expert or a specialist. So this is where I lucked out. My investors and my landlord owned and created the Citizen Hotel. Okay. They sold it, went off. They own this building. They, they're, they're real estate guys. But when I went out with my business plan and my, my idea, I came. I had to raise money as well. It was actually going to be in a different location. They looked at my business plan. They looked at what I was trying to do. They Got back to your me, reputation, who you were. my reputation. Yeah. When they sold, we were peaking. They did well out of the sale of the building. And all of a sudden, they said, we want it in this building. Um, and I managed to get investors and landlord in one foul swoop. I lucked out because they knew the, the, the landlord team here had been part of some of the opening over there. So when it came to liquor licensing and some of the legalities... They, they could really steer me in that direction, which was huge. Which is another, I think, important thing to, to, to mention. Um, we talked about the th- the importance of being a part of a community for six years yeah. right, before opening your own place. Not only were you networking with your guests and uh, other professionals in the industry within Sacramento, but you're developing a relationship with maybe investors. Oh, you make, you know, like Would you have gotten these investors if you didn't have this presence and this reputation within the community absolutely first? Absolutely not. No. Some of my investors are you know, major players in, in the huge real estate game here. Nicest people yeah. ever, but very, very smart calculated risk taking people and you know they took a risk with me in this but it was calculated and they know the location they know the sacramento market but they also have a wealth of knowledge and um you know i i I was truly mentored by a lot Mm -hmm. of these guys in opening up a business from the business standpoint not just you know and it was for them like we're not worried about the food we're not worried about any of that shit like that's your we got that we wouldn't be doing this you know you can't tell you the amount of time i spent looking at spreadsheets and spreadsheets and managing budgets and percentages and like so it makes your eyes cry but it's it's true so if you are not opening a restaurant in the premise of trying to you know make the 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 books work then you're in the wrong business you can make the prettiest fucking food in the world but if you're not making money and you can't pay your rent and you can't pay your staff, then you're fucked. Yeah. So are your investors, your partners, are they um, are they bringing certain assets to the table aside from the the, the dollar bills? Are they also bringing experience and expertise in other verticals? Is that, you know, is that- they they 
they don't want to own a restaurant to run a restaurant. They have no business or wanting. They love coming here. They spend their money here. They support me. They, they're great. But they're also, during that process of me taking on financial loaning through some of their organizations and leading up to that, they mentored me every single step of the way of how and why. And nothing was just like, here, here take this money. Yeah. Like every single purchase, every budgeted item everything there was a sell and an understanding of me there was no wiggle room and that for me was just priceless yeah what's the aside from this them, them giving this the structure the standard of, of having every penny be intentionally spent and knowing where that penny is mm-hmm. going right it sounds like that's really where they helped you what else did they teach you what else did you learn from having this 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 these people in your corner um that you you know you you really are only as good as your last um not your last plate but you're um you're only as successful as the i'm trying to think of a word for it experience or the yeah, you deliver or? i don't know like every, every the responsibility it takes from taking money from people like it's huge, right? Like yeah. people are risking. You're not only putting your livelihood on the line; you're taking other people's money, and that that financial burden is very serious. And it's also a huge gift too, right? So you're only successful once you've started doing right by your your discipline to be able to operate yeah. the business as well yeah. as you know, because the passion and the food and the hospitality of what I—that's a given. That's why they took that risk because yeah. they know I can do that. The risk was running a business, and now. I think that that what I learned from them it's, is success cannot always just be driven on on reviews and um, reputation. And reputation. Yeah. It's what have you done for the people that put you in that position? Have you done right by paying back what you owe? Do you pay your staff fairly? Are you making sure your vendors are being paid? Are you are you on top of your shit? Yeah. Like, are you running a successful you, business? Exactly. Because yeah. if you're not, then you're failing and then you're doing a disservice to everyone that helped you to get to where you want. put their trust in you. To, There's a lot of know? trust in it. Yeah. So, and, I, and I took that very, um, you know, I'm very, I'll be thankful forever for that. You know, yeah. even now, like I went through the summer, summer in Sacramento sucks. Like when we opened, we were like money was coming through. We were like managing to pay our bills and get our loan paid back. But in the summer, like those revenues drop and then your percentages drop and, you know, your cost of goods and your labor are now accelerated. And you're like, fuck, like now it's getting real now. I've got to really start using these tools to be more efficient. So, yeah. Any other experiences over the past year that really resonate with you? Lessons learned, uh, mistakes made six good decisions made that you would like to share with people any any last lessons you want to drop on us before transitioning to the speed round just i don't know i said like go with your gut like i i hired wrong with my gut but Mm -hmm. my gut told me that i'd hired wrong and then i dealt with it i shouldn't have hired that person initially same thing when you're dealing with anything in a restaurant if it doesn't feel right Deal with it in the moment. Don't let anything linger because like I did, I let it linger and I ended up having someone on my team for too long that I didn't need and waste of money, waste of energy, but made the decision finally to do the right thing. But that goes with anything else, right? Be it a product or something you're buying, a negotiation, a hire, go with your gut, deal with it instantly. Don't let shit linger. Like it will just eat you. You don't have time for that. No one has time for that. So deal with things in the moment consult with someone if you think it's a questionable idea and just and just do it like handle it 
Never let things linger. Yeah. So one question I wanted to, I would like to start asking, I have started asking all my guests is, you know, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed? Who are you today? Who is the Oliver Ridgeway today compared to the Oliver Ridgeway getting into the industry uh, over like almost 40 years ago? Oh my God, I feel old. Or not 40 years, 20 years ago. 20 yeah, years ago. I'm 43 this week, <laughs> Wednesday. 20, 25 years ago. I know, I know, I know. I still feel like I've had two lifetimes in that. Um, I think be, be a good person. Um, cook from the heart. Embrace the community. Um, embrace the community. Embrace your team. Um, connect with your guests. Get out there. You know, shake people's hands, learn, let them learn about you, let them learn about what you're doing. Really embrace, like, hospitality is about providing a service of kindness and, 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 and good food and experience and feeling. So if you can live and portray that, 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 that belief, then I think embody people are, embody it. Yeah. People around you will see and believe it too. And then, yeah, I think that that positions you well to do something. So you're saying the transformation you've now learned to embody hospitality, not within the four walls of the the restaurant or the hotel, but in life. In life, in general, too. Like always, make eye contact, shake someone's hand. Yeah. Like you know, like be, be, be just in general, being in a store. You know, I always say I always say hi to the clerk, even if they don't want to. The the shitty um, <laughs> the tolls going on the Bay Bridge, man. That's what a miserable job. And they look upset. I'm always like, "Hey, doing, bro?" You know, like always, like I'm always it. like, I just have like service is not easy. Yeah. And even if you know someone like doesn't really enjoy it, like be be that upbeat person. It's beautiful. You know. Thank you. I've loved this conversation. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, then we're gonna bust out a quick speed round. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders and much much more in other words bento box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most your restaurant bento box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence profits and relationships online sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable one more time that is getbento.com slash unstoppable all right we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um leading by example what is your biggest weakness like just having an employee that just they're not quite great but they do the job and they're just okay like just kind of coming in and just saying listen man like you're not doing good enough. But so, they're, they're never sick. They always come to work on time. They do their best ability, but it's never quite good enough. And you know that other people on your team are doing it at a different level. Like telling someone that they kind of suck when, yeah. they, when they think they're doing a great job. You know, I find I, that hard sometimes. Yeah, I'm like, that, such a nice person, comes in, always smiles, like makes me a cup of coffee, 
but you kind of suck. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's that's something that you're gonna have to you're gonna face that situation sooner or later. I yeah. Mean, I, I, some. I'm trying to choose my words wisely. Um, I think the best way to handle that situation when you have to let somebody down who's done nothing but bust their ass for yeah. you is to let them know that th- that you care for them and that you're not doing them any favors by keeping them on the team because yeah. here are your strengths. This is what you're good at. Here's what I need you to be good at. Yeah. If, if you're if, if I don't reinforce your strengths and tell you what you're good at and set you on the right path as a business owner, as the leader, I'm not doing you any favors by keeping you here because I'm holding you back. Totally. Like, and like in making it about their strengths and where they would be better and recognizing their strengths and not making it about their weaknesses. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really great way to tell somebody that it's not working out is by focusing on where they're good. Sure. You know, and why why you're on the wrong path. Yeah, totally. You know? It's just it's yeah. just one of those things and you know, when it's on your dime now, like mine, right? You've got to see efficiency and like yeah. so even when you do work at the other places and you are treating it like your own, it's still not your yep. money, right? So much for a speed round, huh? <laughs> uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, what makes you happy? Uh, yeah. I love it. What, what drives you? What right. are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for someone that is motivated that Some, has someone that can be happy. Yeah, someone that can be happy. Some, <laughs> yeah. Someone that maybe has something happy out of work that they enjoy doing, but it's cycling or music or yeah. they have a really cool hobby that makes them, you know, keeps them another focus. Yeah. And, What's your biggest challenge? Um, like kind of just what I talked about then. I think, you know, telling good pe- people, telling good yeah. people that they're not very good. Like I'm pretty, I'm very disciplined at, people that aren't doing the right thing <laughs> share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value a way to be a way to act um just like working with a sense of urgency mm. you know how can i do this faster and more efficient like don't just freaking coast on it like how can i do this in the best ability you know like be it a plate or Maybe it's an easier way of, quicker way of doing something. It could be peeling a potato or a carrot. So how do you create that sense of urgency without being a dick? Um, just, like, give them a timeline. Like, especially in the mornings, like, if I'm, like, I'll tell them what the time is. I'm, like, 10 o'clock, yeah. carrots, 20 <laughs> minutes. Like, carrots yeah. don't take 20 minutes. Like, letting yeah. them know. And, like, gotcha. just kind of having that jovial thing. And, yeah. you know, so like, ticket times, too. Like, ticket times, right? We're at 10 minutes, right? Really? Like... Two salads? Come on. Yeah. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant regarding service, how we you know, handle the guests that is common within your four walls but not common within the industry. Saying, making no sound like yes. Hmm. How do you do that? Um, give them tools to why and how we can get a comment. Are we open for lunch? We are not open for lunch, but we can offer you a hamburger, a Caesar salad, a blah, blah, blah. Give them an artillery of what we can do. So we're, we're kind of saying no, but we're saying yes at the same time. I can feed you, but I can't give you the full lunch menu right now. And that comes, can you make me uh, whatever? Like We will find a way to give you what you want. So if they ask for something and you don't have it, lead with what you do have. Yeah. Got you. Um, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? We've already talked about it. You've said it, but it's <laughs> setting the table, Danny what, Meyer. What's your biggest lesson from that book? God, just the humility of working every part of your industry before you get to the top, be it a busboy or a dishwasher and understanding each position um, and, and knowing what it takes to do that job and seeing the value in that job mm. along the way and how important every aspect is 
to the end result. Yeah. And that book is on audio. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you're not already an audible member, you can get that book for free on us. And I mean, audiobooks. I don't know about you, but audiobooks are a game changer for me. I don't like to read. I don't like to be still. I don't like to read things, but audiobooks. Well, I need to get on it. <laughs> I've just, you know, I've Discovered told you, you were my first podcast. Um, Flattered by the way. And, 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 and Joe Rogan now. And, um, Love Joe but Rogan. I just realized in busy life that when I'm driving now that that could be a time to be still educating and listening and learning something new. So valuable. So, so I, I should get into audiobooks because yeah. again, like if I do pick up a book, I'm probably going to fall asleep. After this recording, audibletrial.com slash Unstoppable, your first book's on me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurants tours don't do well enough or often enough? Restaurants, um, look at the long road instead of just the immediate, like, you know, the next week. I think we can often react so quickly in the moment thinking that our world's caving in but like try yeah. and th- try and look it out longer and yeah and and plan ahead and know that maybe something you're going through right now could get better you know there's a lot of irony in that because he, as humans one of the things that makes us so unique and so powerful is our ability to project our ability to work out possible scenarios yeah and to have a vision of the future but that is our strength but we tend to be so reactive. We, we tend to be so worried, so fearful. We react in the moment. Um, and it's, that's the most animal-like quality we have, our fear, our reaction. Like Animals react, right? Humans, we do. Humans are proactive. So remember that you can be proactive. Remember you know, not to be reactive. That's what separates us. We have the ability to override that reactiveness. So don't forget that, right? So powerful. You do. You just have to look at the long road. It's- yeah. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the four walls of your business that's had a huge impact on your operation, communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? It sounds stupid, but today cell phones have just yeah. become the, like my reservation systems on here, my punching in and punching out time management's on here. Can you give me some specific examples of what tools you went with? For- so I've got Resi, okay, um, which I can see my reservations, make reservations. I've just, I've, I have it in my pocket yeah. now. So I look at that. Um, I use Homebase for timekeeping. I can see who's scheduled, when they're scheduled, request time off, how much money those hourly are costing me for that shift. And um, and then I use Toast POS systems, which I also have on my phone. I can manage everything in there. So everything I need electronically or systematically for this business I can do out of my pocket. Now there's a lot of options out there. What made you settle on these ones? Um, Resi. Um, I was, I'd been with Micros my whole, uh, not Micros, Open Table my whole life yep. and um, sat with both of them and they, you know, Resi seemed to be a little bit newer and a bit different and honestly, they offered me the first year for free. Okay. Like, <laughs> huge sure um (laughs) yeah right and it's they're great like it gives me notifications when people are coming and like it sends text alerts to remind you and gotcha beautiful um all right this is the last question it's a doozy so get ready for it you ready all right if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom three things you know to be true about your success what would those three things be that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three things be God. deep super deep <laughs> crikey i don't know if that was on your list um be kind one cook from the heart two 
do it nice or do it twice. <laughs> I love it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Chef Oliver, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So I'm in Sacramento, uh, California, making my way south. Who do you respect and admire in the industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Someone in, in this town here? This town or somewhere south of here? Somewhere <laughs> south of here. God, um, let me think. Um, in this town, Brad Checky at Cannon. Okay. Um, he used to be my, he was my number two. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Now yeah. he's, he just got a bib mom from Michelin. He's nice. just killing it right now. South of here. God. Probably, um, I don't know. It's all right. Know. One's good. Yeah, One's great. Good, yeah. Thank you so much. That was Chef Brad. Look yeah. out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know if we want to come join your team, uh, come get mentored by you for in the California area. Maybe you want to relocate. Maybe uh, you resonated with us today. What's the best way to connect? In in this community here? Yeah, if you want to come work for you here. Oh, for me, like just come hit us up on uh, at com. We have a, a, a website which you can put questions or get a hold of me and often we get could be resumes, could be recipes people asking for, but that's, a, that's a, an easy way to get to us. Yeah, I believe that website... That's how you got to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that website is just Candem, uh, C-A-M-D-E-N, spit, S-P-I-T, and larder, L-A-R-D-E-R.com. I'll have the link in the show notes. And uh, this is episode 650. Two. So head over to, sorry, 662. Jeez, they're getting away from me. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 662, and I'll have a summary of today's discussion over there. I'll link to any tool or service that was recommended and how to connect with Chef Oliver. Again, just thank you so much for taking the time. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Cheers. There's another one in the archive, and I have a couple calls to action for you. Please reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, Facebook slash restaurantunstoppable, and Instagram, Eric Cacciatore. If you are interested in letting me know who I need to make an example of in Sacramento and San Francisco, I'm on the road. I'm in California, Northern California, through the rest of October into November, and I would also love to connect with you, my my listeners. Grab a beer, grab a coffee, grab whatever. Let's, let's connect. I want to go deep. I want to get intimate with my audience and my my guests so uh that all starts with you guys let me know who's out there uh not just guests but yourselves i love connecting with my listeners and let's also start growing this facebook group that i've created the unstoppable restaurant owners and operators if you guys want to communicate with each other if you want to reflect on episodes that's where i want to start doing this so email me to get permission to be added to that group or to search for it on facebook all right guys let's do this peace